0: This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. So, uh, come and grab a seat. I don't know about you, I'm kind of still, still contemplating the loss of England to South Africa last night. Congratulations if you're a South Africa supporter in the house. (laughs) You're so welcome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. If you didn't watch the match, it finished 16-15 South Africa and South Africa were winning for two minutes. But it just so happened to be the two minutes at the end of the match <laughs> rather than the previous 78. Anyway, uh, I'm just going to share a few words. Um, we're going to wrap up our little series, mini-series on spiritual and emotional health. And I do hope that you've, um, if you haven't listened to them all, then you feel free to go back and listen to them again on our podcast or indeed if you want to watch, re-watch was going on. Um, Karen, could you just go and turn that speaker that way a little bit just so we don't get so much feedback? That'd be great. Um, and... Um, Yeah, the reason why, do you know, I kind of wish I could speak about this every week. Because for me, as a pastor of a church, uh, nothing matters to me more than our emotional and spiritual health. Um, Everything else goes from being in a place of health. And whenever I talk to everyone in our church, I'm aware that we all need to be healthy in a spiritual and emotional state. And uh, nothing uh, could be... uh, more desirable, I think, than to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. So, um, for me, this is a really important thing, and uh, we've focused on it specifically in this context. But um, we'll continue to try and keep the foot on the gas with this one, so to speak. Now, I just want to share a little story with you, uh, just ahead of what I'm talking about today. Uh, there's this myth of a man, uh, it could be in India, who has is a, is a water carrier who carries two pots of water suspended from a pole across his shoulders, and one of the pots is whole and one of the pots is cracked and so it leaks a bit. Now the perfect pot always delivers a full portion of water from the stream to his master's house whilst the cracked pot arrives only half full each day. For two years the water carrier made the same journey and the perfect pot became proud of its accomplishments but the cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half what it had been made to do. Finally, whoa. One day, by the stream, the cracked pot spoke to his owner about his bitter failure. I am ashamed of myself. And I want to apologise that I've only been able to deliver half my water to your house. There is a crack in my side which causes water to leak out. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value from your efforts. Then the water carrier replied, smiling. As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. So on that trip from the stream, the cracked pot looked around. Did you notice there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side, the water carrier commented. That's because I've always known about your floor, and I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we passed these spots, you watered them. Now, for two years, I've been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you just being the way you are, I would not have this beauty to grace this house. Now, that's a rather beautiful, if not twee, story that humbles all of us. But some of you may be thinking to yourself, (laughs) if only that were true. If only that were true. There's no way that my weaknesses or flaws are any use to anyone. And that's the problem with weaknesses and flaws. We all try to hide them because we're ashamed of them, right? Um, And rather recognize and embrace and acknowledge our flaws and our weaknesses, we either ignore them, that's called delusion, we hide them, that's called deception, or we try and eradicate them, that's called perfectionism. And none of those strategies lead to a happy or a contented place. Now, in this episode, briefly, I just want to suggest to you that if we want to be emotionally and spiritually healthy, we need to humbly embrace our weaknesses and flaws. Now, some of you know me, some of you don't. But some of you that uh, do know me will know I've spoken about this before, but I have a condition with my left eye, where my left eye doesn't track my right eye identically. And it's called a strabismus. And I've had it since I was a child. And uh, the muscles that control the left eye... Um, don't work properly, and uh, so there's something to do with the nervous control of those, or the neural control of those muscles. So therefore, when I was a child, that eye didn't develop fully, and so the vision in my left eye is nothing like as good as the vision in my right eye. Um, I had corrective surgery when I was a child, and then back in about 2013 was it, I had corrective surgery again. and. Um, Consequently, I, if I lost the vision in my right eye, I would not really be able to see properly. I certainly wouldn't be able to drive, wouldn't be able to read, wouldn't be able to function normally as I do now. Now, this visual disturbance, this visual problem that I have, has definitely affected my self-confidence. And, um, and, and really that is around, and self-esteem, around the way I look and appear to other people. Um, I feel embarrassed and I feel ashamed of my eyes. Um, It gets worse when I'm tired um, or if I do intensive exercise. So if I play football for an hour, then my left eye just kind of goes straight in, looks straight inwards um, rather than looking straight ahead with my right eye. And because of that, I'll try and make a swift exit from social settings where that's happened. I'll try and get out of there as quick as I can because I feel humiliated by it. Um, I feel ashamed of it. Um, It feels weak to me. It feels you know, just unpleasant to look at. Now, before I had my last corrective surgery, um, uh, I really hated seeing photographs of myself. And even even looking back through the family album now, I feel embarrassed by looking at photos where one eye's looking one way, one eye's looking the other. And um, I feel uncomfortable by that. This, this is a weakness and a flaw in me that I really struggle to embrace as a person. Um, even telling you about it, I don't like telling you about it. I don't like drawing attention to it. Um, when I was writing this on Friday, I thought to myself, I don't really want to tell this story. I don't really want to talk about this weakness, this flaw that I have in myself. I mean, I have other weaknesses and flaws, but I thought I'd tell you about this one. Um, I, I really struggle to embrace it. Um, uh, my wife, Claire, I, I find this really hard to believe, um, but she tells me that the best part of my features is my eyes which I really, really struggle with. I really struggle with. Generally, that is when they're smiling at her. Um, I have quite a powerful uh, fixed stare and frown as well. Um, But usually my eyes, when they're smiling, she thinks that's the best bit of me. Um, I can't believe that. Because if there was any part of my appearance that I would change, it's my eyes. Um, The other impact of not having perfectly aligned eyes is my ability with racket sports like tennis, table tennis and badminton my depth perception is slightly compromised by having this weakness in the left eye and so um, I need to be really well practiced if I'm just to really have any chance of beating my opponent Um, so I'm an average tennis player I'm an average table tennis player I'm an average badminton player I can hit some amazing shots but I miss more shots than I really should because of my depth perception now given that I'm actually Just average, I'm not too bad, even with a visual impairment. I sometimes wonder how good I would be if I didn't have a visual impairment. Meanwhile, my friends and my kids take advantage of my weakness and thrash me. Now, I wonder what weaknesses and flaws you have in your own life that you would like to change. How do you feel about those weaknesses? Like me, do you struggle to embrace them, preferring rather to ignore, hide or eradicate them? Now, happily we live in the UK in a society where it is getting safer and easier to acknowledge our, and embrace our weaknesses and our flaws, but it still takes courage to do this. Now, if you're looking for some inspiration from the Bible about embracing our weaknesses and flaws, which I know many of you will because you really value the Bible in your life, you have a lot of people you can draw on, but we're going to look at Jesus. Now. If you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, you may not, or you may be familiar, with the uh, painting that Rembrandt uh, created called The Return of the Prodigal Son. In this painting, it shows the younger son kneeling and resting his head on the father's chest. He is bald, seemingly exhausted and emaciated and without his cloak, wearing only one tattered shoe and is disheveled. He is a picture of a life that has been broken. Let me remind you of the story. It's in Luke 15 verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything and there was a severe famine in that whole country, he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But whilst he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He sprinted to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came in the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, after all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and... Is found. Just notice there that Jesus is telling a story. It's an allegory, it's a made-up story to make his point. Um, and um, and of course, right in there you see the, the theme of resurrection, which is so central to who Jesus is. In Middle Eastern culture, to for a son to ask for his inheritance whilst his father is still alive is the same as saying, Father, I am eager for you to die. And it would be the same in our culture, right? He shames his father by doing that. He disgraces his family. But things go badly for him until he's tending the pigs. And Jesus is quite intentional here. Uh, Remember, Jesus is a Jew. Um, For a Jewish listener in Jesus' day, the younger brother, if he's tending the pigs, that's really bad. Okay? because um, according to their ceremonial tradition, a person that touched pigs was four times as unclean as someone who visited a prostitute. So under their ceremonial laws, that, put, that made them separate from God and separate from their community. So finally, um, this boy comes to his senses, turns to head home, gets up. His father sprints towards him. He doesn't tap his foot and say, this better be good at listening for the explanation. He throws himself on his son and he kisses him. Now again, for those of us dads who kiss our sons and throw ourselves upon them and have a wrestle with them, that's nothing unusual, right? But what we're talking about here is Jesus is saying this is how God is. And there's no other religion in the world that describes God as kissing a human being, as God kissing their son. The nature of the Jewish understanding of God was that God is like a father a father and that's where you know that's the inheritance that that christianity has that god is like a father that's why you would have heard earlier on Um, and and uh, you know throughout worship and wherever you wherever you hear christians praying you'll you'll hear them addressing god as father so we froze a painting and if we turn our attention again to the image of rembrandt's painting you've got the younger son looking dishevelled and emaciated, but in the corner you've got the older brother. And is a complete contrast to the weak and broken younger son. He is well clothed in a gold embroidered garment like his father. His face looks like he's annoyed or almost judgmental, looking down on the father's lavish reception of his youngest son who has so disgraced the family and squandered the family fortune. Yet, Jesus' point here is that the older brother is more lost than the younger brother. Why? Because he cannot see his own weakness, his own lostness. His respectability and morality have blinded him. He's living with his father, but is far from the father. And it's really important that we recognize the context in which Jesus is telling this story, because often we just put it in our own context. But the context that Jesus is telling here is he's talking to the religious people of his day. People who, but who kind of, they, they kind of look down on the poor, the broken, the weak. You know, these people were religious zealots, and they were zealous about keeping the law and remaining upright and appropriate in their behaviour. But the, Jesus is speaking to these people and saying, "You guys think you're close to the Father, but actually, the people that are most close to the Father are those who know their weakness, who know their flaws, who know their brokenness. Those people that are on the periphery of society, and anyone that." you know, reads the stories of Jesus, will know full well that Jesus hung out with all the people who were on the periphery of society. He didn't hang out with uh, just the elite. He didn't do that. He hung out with the poor and the broken and the needy. Jesus, I think, had this conviction that as we vulnerably embrace our weaknesses and our flaws, then we can have a deep and meaningful relationship with one another and with God. But if we don't embrace our weaknesses and our flaws, then we struggle to have deep, and meaningful relationships with each other and with God. That's Jesus' conviction, I think, we can read from this. And we, we, you kind of see this expressed by Paul, the apostle as well, in his letters. And he writes in one of his letters, Second Corinthians 12, verses 5 to 10. He says this, I will boast about a man like that. I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain." In other words, Paul thinks he has much, much to be boastful about. <laughs> I, I do wonder if we might actually find Paul quite an irritating character, particularly before he met Jesus. Because um, so he, he says, "'Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I have much to boast about. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say.' Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." What Paul appears to be saying here is is that when we embrace our weaknesses and flaws, then we start to experience reality as it really is, rather than deluding ourselves. Historians working retrospectively would say that Paul was actually one of the most influential people in the Western world that actually Christianity that we express today in our society as it has been developed through Roman and then Central European influences, we now have that as the basis of our society. Much of what we consider to be liberal uh, democracy is based on Paul's teaching. Paul's influence is incredible. And um, and here's, here's a man who, before he came to Christ, was considered to be the elite in his society in every way, every way he would have been considered to be the elite. And yet this is a man who goes through shipwrecks, is bitten by snakes, this is after he's met Jesus, is bitten within an inch of his life. He says, when I am weak, I am strong. Now this interesting phrase he uses about being a thorn in the flesh. Now some scholars say that his, that's his eyesight, others say it's a chronic physical condition. He's, he, his, his letter here says that his weakness or flaw was a messenger from Satan. Now, whether you consider that a literal or metaphoric reference, it is clearly not something that Paul wants. It is clearly not something that Paul uh, doesn't want to change about his life. He clearly wants to change this. He pleads with God to change this. Like many of us who are afflicted with weaknesses and flaws, we don't sit comfortably with them. We plead with God to change our circumstances. At least I do, I don't know about you. And it doesn't always happen. And so when it doesn't happen, what Paul does is conclude that he has to live with it. So live with it he did. And actually he so- chose to take advantage of that weakness. So rather than uh, denying it, uh, you know, rather than hiding it, uh, rather than trying to eradicate it, he chose to embrace it and use his weakness as a way of training himself to cope with other hardships, insults, persecutions and weaknesses. He's doing what we all do when we embrace our weaknesses and flaws. He turns it to his advantage. So, how do you and I embrace our weaknesses and flaws? How do we do that? Well, first of all you might do that by starting to write it down some of you may already journal, like write down your thoughts, write down your feelings about things, write down your story on a routine basis. Maybe start by writing those things down. Maybe start by saying, what are my weaknesses and flaws? Be honest with yourself to start with. And if you're struggling to see what your weaknesses and flaws are, invite God to show you your weaknesses and flaws. And maybe write them down. And maybe then once you've done that, maybe take the opportunity to share it with someone who's trusted in your life. I'm not suggesting you should just go and talk to anyone about this, but maybe choose someone who you trust and say, these are some of the weaknesses and flaws I think I have in my life. They may even share a few more with you, particularly if you talk to your spouse. And, um, and what, what will happen is that you'll start to get real with some of the flaws and weaknesses that you have in the, your life. And I, then start talking to God about them. We said last week about sitting with our limitations, sitting with our pain and loss and grief, and allowing the Holy Spirit to interact with us on that. You may not really understand what I mean by that. What I mean by that is sitting with it and saying, God, speak to me about this. Speak to me about this and then listen. And if you want some help with that, we run something called Emmanuel Prayer where someone will sit with you and listen to what God is saying for you and with you and ask you questions about what God is saying to you In a certain context with a certain memory with a certain awareness and you may want to do that and if you want to do that speak to claire she'll organize it for you the other thing is you might like to do it more formally like we talk about triplets all the time here and the idea of a triplet is you have two people that you meet with maybe on a fortnightly basis just for an hour and you do some reflective work and you write down your journal and then you share that with the other person And it's just been absolutely phenomenal how this has enabled people to become open and vulnerable with one another in a trusted context so that things like weaknesses and flaws can be openly admitted and dealt with and embraced and turned to your advantage rather than hiding them or pretending they don't exist or trying to eradicate them. So there are some very practical ways in which we can do this. I might add, as I've said all the way along through this series, when we talk about emotional health, there are some complex and persistent problems that we may need the expertise of a professional to help us with. As a physiotherapist, I know that I've got expertise in training that can help me help other people who don't have that expertise in training. And yet, there's a lot that I offer people that is just common sense. Common sense, things like stretching, stuff like exercise, stuff like eating healthily, things like that, that can actually just make you know, your, your life a whole lot better. And it's the same with emotional health there is much that we can share with one another that is just common sense. And we would encourage you to share that with one another. But sometimes there's some emotional pain and and loss and grief and weakness that actually we need to share with people who are trained to help us with that and work through that. And so therefore, if you are thinking that, do you know what, I don't feel comfortable about sharing this in in an everyday context, then talk to us and we can point you in the direction of counsellors that can be of help to you. So as we wrap up this little series on emotional and spiritual health, we're not going to stop talking about emotional and spiritual health. It really is central to what we are as a community. But I just want to encourage you today just to think about your weaknesses and flaws and perhaps just embrace them rather than deny them. Embrace them rather than delude yourself that they're not there. Embrace them rather than be a perfectionist and try and eradicate them. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for um, the fact that when we read Jesus all the time, we see that he encouraged us to call you father or mother, whatever intimate relationship is most meaningful to you. And, and, And I pray that today you might have the security of knowing that you can be vulnerable about your weaknesses and flaws and you can embrace them and you can turn them to your advantage. And I pray that we would all have the courage to do that. And Jesus, thank you that you didn't just talk about it, you made yourself vulnerable and weak. You were executed on a cross, you were murdered. All of your dignity was stripped away. All of your life was eliminated. but thanks be to God for the resurrection, which gives us hope that even with our weaknesses and flaws, we can have life. So help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.